before I begin, I'm going to step over here and I'll just say what I'm doing because some people increasingly are, they're not here, but they're listening to our messages online. And so I'm stepping over here because I have a box that I'm going to use as a prop and I'm going to put it on the table and we will get back to this box a little bit later, but I'll just set it there. Uh, so be sure to do that. Uh, you know, if you're in a gospel community group and often your group may go through the questions related to the sermon, uh, so you can go online it's, uh, so you can become familiar with what was uh, spoken. Let's turn to John 15. I want to read this portion of scripture. You know, it's a great season to deal with John 15 uh, here in Oregon. It's such a, a picturesque uh, language that I want to read it. John 15, 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now, verse 16 is the one that we're going to come back to. This is the verse that I want to get imprinted in the forefront of your brain. So as you forget everything else, possibly, that I speak, this will come to your mind as you are driving to work, as you're in the grocery store. Uh, you know, it'll just saturate your mind. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So verse 16 is where I want to end up, but we're going to deal with how are we going to get back to verse 16. 
uh, this portion of Scripture should inspire you. He is saying here that I have appointed you and chose you not just to survive, not just to get by, not just to try and cope. Verse 16 is telling us he has a far greater purpose than survival. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to flourish. In scripture terminology, he wants you to bear fruit. Two times within this portion of uh, scripture, he doesn't just say, I want you to bear fruit. He says, I want you to bear much fruit. God believes in you. He sees an incredible potential for fruit bearing. He wants you to go beyond surviving to thriving, to flourishing. Now, you may say, well, yeah, yeah, it's easy for the person across the room, for the spiritually mature, uh, it, the person who has their act together. Uh, life seems to be going the way they want it. It's easy for them to bear fruit. But man, if you knew my situation, it's like I'm in an arid desert and you expect fruit to blossom. Let's look at the context of John 15, where this uh, scripture that we're going to look at is situated, John 15, verse 13, though, the context, we want to look where Jesus Christ is speaking these words to his disciples, and Jesus Christ is telling his disciples in 13, verse 1, his time is near. He's been preparing them all this time, but now that it is uh, nearer, he's being more public about it. And so he tells them, my time is near. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's prepare for the Passover. Find an upper room, and we'll celebrate the Passover, the time that God delivered the nation of Israel from uh, uh, Egyptian bondage. And we're going to celebrate together. And they go to the upper room. And while he's sitting there, before they have that last supper, with the 12, they've been walking together for three years, you know, pounding the dirt, sleeping out in the open, eating together, really becoming a cohesive uh, unit. And then Jesus Christ says, one of you will betray me. After three years, uh, you know, they, they left their occupations. They left the status that might have come with that occupation. They've given so much. And now it would appear as though their master's leaving. There's one amongst them that's going to desert and betray it appears as though everything is unwinding or, or unraveling. And it's right at this time. At this time, he says, but I've appointed you. I have chose you to bear fruit, much fruit. In, fine, in fact, I, I think we can uh, uh, probably think about our own lives. And often, you know, it's in these times of... of crisis, uh, a challenge that fruit is more apt to come out because we are less dependent upon ourselves. So regardless of your situation, I believe God's speaking to you as well. He has chosen and appointed you to bear fruit, to go beyond. See, if your end goal is just survival, it, it, something happens in the brain and we're just trying to get by. God has designed us for something far greater. Look at verse 11, and I think this is the overflow of a fruitfulness. Verse 11, 
15, chapter 15. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, survival is just getting by. Thriving, flourishing, you have purpose. You're blossoming. People around you are blossoming. You're going in a direction. You are in sync with a bigger purpose. I believe God has created us to be fruitful and out of that fruitfulness to find fulfillment. Before sin ever entered the world, God told Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Not just fruitful in terms of procreation, of offspring, but tending to the garden, reproducing. This morning, I want us to explore, uh, you know, I think, you know, Pastor, I got more room to bear fruit. I, I, you know, I I think there's more capacity within me to bear fruit. I want us to uh, explore that. And how do we get there? How do we get ourselves back to verse 16 where we can embrace it? We can work in harmony with it. We can come to appreciate what God is offering us that we would with greater measure be fruit bearers. Now, as Pastor Derek said, we're in these I am statements. I am the shepherd, I am the bread, I am the light of the world, and today I'm the true vine. Metaphors are a way that we try to take something complex and simplify it by taking an object or an item we know and it shares one similarity with the more complex item. And so here, we always have to be careful with metaphors, just a word as you read scripture and you read metaphors, because oftentimes we may try to extract out of it far more than what the author intended the metaphor to speak to. So they will tell you with a metaphor, find the main purpose. What was the main theme of the author? And I think it's pretty clear here that it's about, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he has the expectation that followers would mature in a relationship with God the Father, would grow as a child of God, to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And as a result, it will manifest itself by fruit. You will bear fruit. It's inevitable. If you are applying yourself, maturing and growing, it's inevitable that you will bear fruit. And I want us to receive this as an incredible opportunity, like the scripture told us. He considers us friends. This is a gesture, the giving of gifts and the capacity to produce, to to develop fruit as an outcropping is an incredible gesture of of friendship and love that he offers us. So let's retrace our steps. And I I want us to do that going back to verse 1 by thinking about knowing the true vine, knowing the nature of the fruit. And then I want to uh, conclude with... uh, thinking about the process of fruit-bearing and what Christ is talking about in this text of Scripture. So first one is knowing the true vine. See, the vine in Scripture is spoken about commonly in the Old Testament. So Israel, the Jews, the chosen people of God, were quite familiar with it. 
It was such a prominent, uh, often identified, we see in Psalms 80 that the nation of Israel, they are in captivity in Egypt in bondage, and God brought them out of bondage, and he said that they are like a vine brought out of Egypt. Elsewhere in Jeremiah, I have planted you as a choice vine from the purest stock. Israel was well familiar with the vine. Often on their buildings, they would have had scripted, um, etched the vine as a symbol of them as as a nation. Now Jesus Christ comes along, and he says that he's not just a vine, not just the vine, but he's the true vine. See, Israel was considered a vine, but they rebelled. They turned their back on God. They wanted to go their own way, seek their own personal persuasions and passions, and not stay connected with God. Jesus Christ is announcing that he's the true vine. He will not let you down. He accurately reflects God the Father. Only Jesus Christ can do what Israel could not do, what you and I can't do. Look at verse 31, leading up to the announcement here, verse 31. Why, I want you to know that you can have confidence in this vine and why it's a, a true vine, because this Jesus Christ is unique. He's God himself. But the world must learn that I love the Father. And I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. He's saying that I and my Father are in sync with each other. As you follow me, the true vine, as you feed off of the true vine, as you receive the sustenance that comes through the soil, through the vine, out to the branch, and eventually to the fruit, you are receiving from God himself. I am the true vine. Other vines will let you down. So growing in Jesus Christ is the same as growing in God the Father. And the byproduct of growing in Jesus Christ is inevitable. It will happen. Fruit. So what do we know about vines? I'm not a horticulturist or a specialist in this by any means. But I think here in Oregon, some things are just obvious to us. The vine and its root system are what connects us to the soil where the nutrients reside. So the branch, the branch is connected to the soil, and the significance of the soil is because that's where the nutrients are. That's where the uh, minerals and the sustenance that will allow the branch to grow and bear the leaf and eventually the fruit. When I had Dr. Ken Stuckey, when we do an August guest speaker series and we invite in uh, specialists in certain areas. He's an environmental scientist at uh, Boatnoma. And in kind of recruiting him to come talk, I inadvertently used the word dirt. And that's a no-no to a environmental scientist. It's soil. It's an organism. It's alive. It's more critical, this thing that I diminish the value by calling it dirt. It's more valuable than we realize. But for us or the plant to take it in, the branch and the fruit, it has this mediator, this 
item that translates it and, and allows to have it disperse out to the branches so it can receive and take it in. See, this is the picture that we're getting of Jesus Christ, that he does for us to God the Father. He's taking in all these riches that we have in God the Father and helps translating them so we can receive them. He's the true vine, and you can have confidence in him. Now, a branch can be, you know, I, I take that because he says, I'm the true, I'm the true um, vine, I deduce there are other vines. He's the true vine. He's the one of a kind, but there are other vines. The first step towards fruit bearing is to clarify what vine are you attached to? Are you attached to the true vine? I think one of the first steps then of the uh, uh, production of fruit is to submit yourself or to understand the work of the vine dresser. In verse 1, he says that his father... My father is the gardener, my version says. Yours may, may say he's the vine dresser. The role of the vine dresser, we read in verse 4. Remain in me and I in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear much fruit. I'm sorry, verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Not because he's mad at you. Not because he's vindictive. He does have the role of being a judge. Of discerning what is healthy. What is uh, proactive towards the production of fruit. And I love you so much that those things that are cluttering your life. That have entangled you that are robbing you of the nutrients from the soil and dispersing it in fruitless growth, I'm going to cut away. Because, as that verse 2 says, I want you to not just uh, bear some fruit. It says that you will be even more fruitful. He wants more for you than you want for yourself. You're apt to lock into just a survival mentality. But we have to submit then to the work of the vine dresser. The vine dresser knows that if, if he allows that to happen, these dead branches that are just cluttering the base around the vine, things that are not producing, it's breeding grounds for insects and disease. It's breeding grounds for things that will infest and work against the fruit production. He doesn't want that for you. So he removes them. He removes them. Christian or not, with the non-Christian, the branches are broken off. There is a role where God judges. The, non the branches are broken off and tossed. But even for the Christian, the follower of Christ, you still benefit, benefit by the cutting instrument, by his pruning because he has so much more than what we often settle in our set for ourselves. Now, I don't think all of these vines that uh, might we attach to are negative or, or bad, but they're certainly not the true vine. Sometimes these vines serve a purpose. And let me give you an example from uh, my life. Um, you know, I received Jesus Christ when I was 10 years old. 
Now, my reason for receiving Jesus Christ, I would say, was largely to gain acceptance of the Christian community I was raised in. To gain acceptance, you know, from your family, but also the community. And that's not a bad thing. That's why God gives us parents. That's why God immerses us in culture and hopefully a Christian culture so it can influence us. So that's a, a good thing. But then there comes this work of the gardener, the vine dresser, where he wants to purify the motive of what brought you to Jesus Christ. And he wants you to mature and go beyond that and find your reason for following Jesus Christ and being a follower is God himself. Not for what you're trying to get from God, but for what he's already done for you. I think an example of this is Judas. Think about Judas in that upper room. It appeared Judas, three years, there was not even a clue. If you go back and read the scriptures, the disciples were baffled. What does this mean? What is he talking about? They were baffled by the idea that there was one amongst them that would betray him. So it appeared that everyone was attached to the vine, attached and following the person, Jesus Christ. But lo and behold, when it came close to the end, and it wasn't going to appear that Judas was, Judas was not going to realize what he had hoped for, what motivated him to follow Jesus Christ was not going to materialize, he betrays Jesus Christ. He never clarified his motive. He never did go from whether he was motivated by power or status or money and wealth to the person, God, that never got clarified in his life. Likewise, and I say it's not all bad, that uh, we come to Jesus Christ for mixed reasons, various motives. Some maybe come because they want things to go well for them in life. Others want to be happy or feel more secure. Whatever brings you to Jesus Christ, great, but don't mistake that for the person, God himself. That's what he, the gardener wants to purify, that you're following in love, not for what you get from him, but him himself, the I am in our statement. The difference between Judas and the other disciples is that when the gardener comes in, the other disciples are working with the gardener and gaining a purer understanding of what it means to be a follower of God. Look at Peter. He was a mixed bag of uh, uh, motives for following Jesus Christ. And yet he becomes one of the heroes of our faith and his courage that he has because his focus is on the person, not for status. Do you see the work of the vine dresser in your life cutting out branches? Do you see uh, the work of the father pruning as a positive Something that you can receive and welcome because it's going to translate itself to fruit. Now, let's look at the fruit that we're talking about. What fruit are we talking about? Typically in fruit, verse 16 says fruit that will last. Not like the apple that's already half gone. Fruit that will last. In scripture, fruit refers to the character of a person. What's inside a person? In Galatians, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. Think that way. That's what's on my mind, the fruit of the Spirit. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, this story here, uh, what, what, what Christ is teaching his disciples, you know, despite the circumstances you're in, despite those circumstances you're in and the tendency to want to go into a survival mentality, there is incredible potential for you to grow and improve. Far beyond what you realize. You limit yourself, but there is far more than you realize. You have potential to change. But this change is not on the doing, but on the being. He's saying here that I have, you have so much potential that if you're a negative person, if you're just a grumpy person, you can become a loving person. If you're a selfish person, you can become unselfish. If you're an insecure person, you can become a person who steps out and expresses a greater measure of courage. If you're an overpowering person or aggressive, you can become gentle and humble. If you're a selfish person, you can become unselfish. If you're a controlling person, you can become a liberator that frees not only yourself, but other people. But here's the, here's the crux, you know, that um, it's easy and it's hard. The hard part is that he doesn't just want your acts of sacrifices and money and celibacy and time or service. He wants something harder. He wants you. He wants you because with you, things happen. We typically think of all these external things that God's calling, and only if I give these does fruit come. His ask is far greater than that. He wants you. The fruit is not acts of love, but being loving. It's not acts of patience, but being patient. Being translates into action. Being translates into action, which leads us to fruit. So I come to the conclusion. I'm going to get my bearings with time here. How do we bear this kind of fruit? Uh, uh, the, the first thing I, I tried to do is come up with a formula. Uh, how, how to do these three things. But as I think about fruit in this message and what God is saying, formulas often distract us and detract from how fruit really manifests itself and grows. So I'm trying to stay away from a formula, but just some observations. Some things to consider. And those of you who are in groups, uh, you can talk about these. You know, the first thing is to consider this word that we get introduced here is abiding. Several times in this portion of Scripture, he's telling the disciples, okay, this fruit is possible, but abide in me. Remain in me. There, there must be something key about what it means to abide or remain. One thing we know about abiding and remaining from Scripture, we see it several places, but in Matthew, when the disciples are going out and the master, Jesus Christ, tells them, uh, find a home that will welcome you. Find a home worthy, 
worthy in the sense they will receive you. They will honor you. They will allow you to make yourself at home there. This is the picture we get of what it means to abide or remaining. It is to how to be at home in Jesus Christ. See, we know how to construct houses. We know how to build a house, but we often talk about how do we turn a house into a home? It gets a little bit more mysterious. We kind of know what we want, but it's a different entity when we turn a house, the structure, into a home. That is exactly what uh, God is saying. Make yourself at home. Work at it, becoming a home. Become at home in me. Part of that process, the next item on my observation, is welcome pruning. Uh, Receive it. Embrace it. Appreciate it. Uh, Invite friends to uh, share uh, where God is uh, kind of telling you something that you've attached to that is distracting you from making yourself at home in Jesus Christ and as a result, diminish his purpose. So welcome pruning. Uh, the third one I, I put down an observation, and I, I, you know, this was from John Piper. A lot of you read John Piper. Uh, Awaken your affections for Christ. He talks about the importance of, of, of affections. Affections. Um, often we know how to uh, disciple and educate, and this is true and applicable all relationships, uh, intellectually, cerebrally, but we're a little bit clumsy. How do we teach somebody how to love their brother, love their husband, love their wife? How do we, we teach love God the Father to where it awakens affections? I like the example that John Piper uses uh, um, with the, the man who's coming home from work. It's his anniversary, and he's going to surprise his wife, and so he stops to get a dozen roses at Safeway on the way home. And uh, he takes them, and, and this is a good thing to do, men. Uh, takes them, and, and he rings the door because, doorbell because he wants to you know, really uh, make it special. And she comes to the door, his wife, and she sees them, and she says, oh, honey, that is beautiful. Thank you. You remembered our anniversary. And he says, well, it's my obligation. It's my duty. We've been married 30 years, and I figured I ought to uh, do this. Okay. Okay. I'm sure the wife will appreciate it. It's still, you know, a thumbs up uh, to some degree, but... Listen to the difference when the guy gets those roses and he comes to the door and he rings the doorbell and she answers and she said, you know, you're the affections of my, of my life. You're the one that I want to live all my life with. You are so dear and important to me. I can't think of anyone else that I would want to be part of my life. Thank you for the years you've given to me. Hear the difference? See, that's the work that Christ wants to do. That is what bears fruit. When our affections are awakened, not just relationally with those in our our family, 
but with God our Father. Uh, that's what worship is to awaken within us. Worship not just here when we assemble together, but may it awaken and fuel that kind of awakening affections for him wherever we are and get glimpses of the magnitude of, of God. And the last thing, um, so somebody said um, to leave room for mystery. Uh, because this kind of uh, growth from the inside out, uh, you know, I really appreciate when we did more than a building. We did a series here called More Than a Building. Because this work inside out, it will come often when you least expect it. Uh, the world can be your education classroom, laboratory. How God brings uh, circumstances together. Somebody said there, there's two ways, and with, with mystery, there, there's two ways uh, that we can grow. One is mechanically or organically. And uh, this is what my box is for here. Um, I want to show you what it looks like to grow organically. Th this balloon, this balloon here, I want to keep it up in the air. The only way I can keep it up in the air is external forces. You know, to keep hitting it. And it's going to keep falling, so I always got to hit it up in the air by striking it, hitting it, kicking it, whatever it is, to keep it up in the air. And there's a place for that. It serves a purpose. That's what we would call mechanical. It's kind of like the law. It teaches us. It gives us parameters. But fruit, that has limitations. That has limitations. Fruit. Fruit comes somewhere else. It's a thing of the spirit. It's a thing that he invites us to make ourselves at home in Christ. So something happens inside. And we go from being angry to more loving. To where our being starts to become transformed. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the work of your spirit. Thank you for believing in us. Thank you that you uh, saved us, not just for a heavenly home, not just to get through life, to be up in heaven, but you have chosen and appointed us for a purpose today, this week, to be fruitful. What a gift. Thank you, Lord. Amen.